Cipher in the Snow by Gene Miser. It started with tragedy on a biting cold February morning. I was driving behind the Milford Corners bus as I did most snowy mornings on my way to school. It veered and stopped short at the hotel, which I had no business doing, and I was annoyed as I had to come to an unexpected stop. A boy lurched out of the bus, reeled, stumbled, and collapsed on the snowbank on the curb. The bus driver and I reached him at the same moment. His thin, hollow face was white, even against the snow. He's dead, the driver whispered. It didn't register for a minute. I glanced quickly at the scared young faces staring down at us from the school bus. A doctor! Quick! I'll phone from the hotel! It's no use, I tell you. He's dead. The driver looked down at the boy's still form. He never even said he felt bad, he muttered. Just tapped me on the shoulder and said, real quiet, I'm sorry, I have to get off at the hotel. And that's all. Polite and apologizing like. At school, the giggling, shuffling morning noise quieted as news went down the halls. I passed a huddle of girls. Who was it? Who dropped dead on the way to school? I heard one of them half whisper. Don't know his name. Some kid from Milford Corners was the reply. It was like that in the faculty room and the principal's office. I'd appreciate your going out to tell the parents, the principal told me. They haven't a phone, and anyway, somebody from the school should go there in person. I'll cover your classes. Why me? I asked. Wouldn't it be better if you did it? I didn't know the boy, the principal admitted levelly. And in last year's sophomore personalities column, I noted that you were listed as his favorite teacher. I drove through the snow and the cold down the Bad Canyon Road to the Evans' place and thought about the boy, Cliff Evans. His favorite teacher, I thought. He hasn't spoken two words to me in two years. I could see him in my mind's eye all right, sitting back there in the last seat in my afternoon literature class. He came in the room by himself and left by himself. Cliff Evans, I muttered to myself, a boy who never talked. I thought a minute. A boy who never smiled. I never saw him smile once. The big ranch kitchen was clean and warm. I blurted out my news somehow. Mrs. Evans reached blindly towards the chair. He never said anything about being ailing. His stepfather snorted. He ain't said nothing about anything since I moved in here. Mrs. Evans pushed a pan to the back of the stove and began to untie her apron. Now hold on, her husband snapped. I gotta have breakfast before I go to town. Nothing we can do about it now anyway. If Cliff hadn't been so dumb, he'd have told us he didn't feel good. After school, I sat in the office and stared blankly at the record spread out before me. I was to read the file and write the obituary for the school paper. The almost bare sheets mocked the effort. Cliff Evans, white, never legally adopted by his stepfather, five young half-brothers and sisters. These meager strands of information and the list of degrades were all the records had to offer. Cliff Evans had silently come into the school door in the mornings and gone out the school door in the evenings, and that was all. He had never belonged to a club. He had never played on a team. He had never held an office. As far as I could tell, he had never done one happy, noisy kid thing. He had never been anybody at all. How do you go about making a boy into a zero? The grade school records showed me. The first and second grade teacher's annotations read, sweet, shy child, timid, but eager. Then the third grade, 
note had opened the attack. Some teacher had written in good, firm hand, Cliff won't talk, uncooperative, slow learner. The other academic sheep followed with dull, slow-witted, low IQ. They became correct. The boy's IQ score in the ninth grade was listed at 83, but his IQ in the third grade had been 106. The score didn't go under 100 until the seventh grade. Even the shy, timid, sweet children have resilience. It takes time to break them. I stomped to the typewriter and wrote a savage report pointing out what education had done to Cliff Evans. I slapped a copy on the principal's desk and another in the sad dog-eared file. I banged the typewriter and slammed the file and crashed the door shut, but I didn't feel much better. A little boy kept walking after me, a little boy with a peaked pale face, a skinny body and faded jeans, and big eyes that had looked and searched for a long time, and then had become veiled. I could guess how many times he'd been chosen last to play sides in a game, how many whispered child conversations had excluded him, how many times he hadn't been asked. I could see and hear the faces and said over and over, you're nothing Cliff Evans. A child is a believing creature. Cliff undoubtedly believed them. Suddenly, it seemed clear to me. When finally there was nothing left at all for Cliff Evans, he collapsed on a snowbank and went away. The doctor might list heart failure as the cause of death, but that wouldn't change my mind. We couldn't find 10 students in the school who had known Cliff well enough to attend the funeral as his friends. So the student body officers and a committee from the junior class went as a group to the church, being politely sad. I attended the services with them and sat through it with a lump of cold lead in my chest and a big resolve growing through me. I've never forgotten Cliff Evans, nor that resolve. He has been my challenge year after year, class after class. I look for veiled eyes or bodies scrounged into a seat in an alien world. Look kids, I say silently, I may not do anything else for you this year, but not one of you is going to come out of here as a nobody. I'll work or fight to the bitter end doing battle with society and the school board, but I won't have one of you coming out of here thinking himself a zero. Most of the time, not always, but most of the time, I've succeeded.